getting forgiveness from someone um, doesn't require the person's participation. <laughs> it's it's really about an inside job. It's about letting go of the 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 charge and the judgments and the disappointment and also grieving. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. Everybody, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am joined by one of my favorite people whose book I just finished and I cannot wait to talk to her about everything that she's doing in the world because she's an aspiration and she is a true vision of what an authentic leader in this space should be. Uh, here is Christine Hassler. Welcome to the show. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for months, but I'm so happy it's happening. <laughs> it's been so long. Um, so, you know, Christine, I we before we started recording, we we were talking about a, a couple of different topics, but I think one of the biggest things that I find that's coming up, even for me, is, you know, we come from this space of self-development or spirituality or self-care practice, and I feel like it doesn't matter how much yoga we do, we can sometimes still be an asshole. <laughs> yeah, to ourselves, especially. Right, exactly. Yeah. So why? <laughs> <laughs> why? Well, that's an easy question. I'll give you my top three reasons. Um, here's, here's, the, here's the why. And I love that we're bringing lightness to this because right. this is, you know, and this is what's so great is that we pr- can bring lightness to what we're going to talk about today. We don't have to take ourselves so seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, we, we need to we need to treat ourselves consciously and with compassion and be intentional and be consistent, but we don't need to take personal development so seriously and that it needs to like bring us down or be super heavy. Mm. That said, we need to be willing to go and what I like to say, feel, deal, and heal the stuff from our past that's still haunting us in our present and impacting what we can create in our future. And so much of the self-love practices are amazing. Affirmations are amazing. Um, listening to Abraham Hicks, do, t- telling yourself you love yourself in the mirror, drinking green juice, doing your yoga, like you said, all of that is great. That's self-care. Mm-hmm. True self-love is being able to shift the relationship inside yourself such that you become the most amazing, loving parent to yourself with unconditional love and unconditional um, compassion and unconditional acceptance. To me, that is real self-love. And you can't really do that unless you clean up the things that weren't so great about your parents. Some people, you know, we all have, parents are human. (laughs) They all have made mistakes. And whether you have like deep issues with them or not, there's, there's stuff there just to look at. 
and then everything else that happened in our life, you know, whether it be bullying in school or uh, moving a lot or having your parents get divorced, like everybody before the age of 12 has gone through at least one thing. Usually it's many things that are impacting your self-love, that are impacting your self-talk, that are impacting how you see the world because those things programmed your brain. And they, they impact the lens in which you look through the world at. So until those things are really healed, they're still impacting us. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, you know, one of the, the, my favorite things that you do, and I know that you speak to uh, millennials uh, a lot, and I know that you do like international speaking all over the world. And I think that what you're saying is such a key thing to understand, especially at a young age right? To be able to come to that, that realization. Um, what, what's been your experience in having conversation, conversations like this with that younger generation? Well, you know, at this point I'm really talking to, you know, 18 to 75 (laughs) and the conversation's pretty much all the same, which is all of us are scared, we're scared to really look deep and we're scared sometimes to go back and heal some of the things that we've brushed under the rug because we don't want to relive it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to go back there. We just want to be able to think positively and focus on our future. And we think that the relationship or the job or losing the 20 pounds or whatever it may be will make those uncomfortable feelings go away. And they don't, they can distract you, but they don't make them go away. And what, what I love about talking to millennials, and I wrote my first book when I was 24 and I was so passionate about starting this personal growth journey and starting to really take time to understand myself in my twenties so that I wouldn't have a midlife crisis. I was like, well, let me just go ahead and have a quarter life crisis, which was what happened. (laughs) Everything, I lost everything. My life fell apart. So let me just like lose everything, have everything fall apart. And maybe I was like 26, 25, 26. And, and so I don't have to have a midlife crisis. So I can really understand who I am and, and take a look at, you know, what do I really believe versus what have I been told to believe? And what are some of the things that were painful in my past that I'm still like using as a a way to make my decisions? For example, it'll be easy if I give examples. Mm -hmm. I was bullied and teased a lot and, and, um, well, not necessarily a lot, but a lot for me, you know, it just takes once. It takes I think one, once one is, time. is enough, right? <laughs> once is like already too much. Already enough. It just yeah. took that one time of a bunch of girls passing around a note in fourth grade, telling people not to be friends with me and that I was like a bad girl. Um, and in that moment, my whole perception of myself in the world changed and it made me question myself. And, I, from that moment, did not think I was enough. I didn't think I belonged. And anytime we have one of those moments where we question our lovability, we question our safety, we question our belongingness, the ego and the survival part of our brain has to come up with some way to compensate for it, to feel like we do fit in somehow, some way. And so I call these things compensatory strategies. And my compensatory strategy was just to become an overachiever. Because I thought, well, if I have no friends and no one likes me and I'm not enough, maybe I can prove my worth by just getting good grades and being quote unquote successful. Mm. And that was something that drove me. You know, I was a, I was a straight A kid. I went to a great college. I moved out. I graduated early from college. I moved out to Hollywood. I was the youngest ever female agent. And Everybody was like, oh, wow, you're so successful. No one knew inside I was miserable. 
-hmm. And I just kind of thought that I would just keep doing things and doing things and doing things and achieving things. And maybe eventually the depression, the anxiety and the self-loathing would wear off, but it didn't. It just kept getting worse because my success and everything I was doing was fueled by my own insecurity. It was fueled by my own wounding. And that's what fuels a lot of us. We're trying to compensate. We're trying to, you know, be a people pleaser because Mm -hmm. we're afraid that if we really are authentic or we upset people that we're not going to be long or we're not going to be loved. We could start controlling everything because maybe we grew up with a lot of chaos in our life and we don't feel safe unless we're controlling everything. Mm -hmm. So there's just these ways that our operating systems that, that aren't authentic And until we really start to first question what's driving us and then be willing to go back and do the work, we just keep, keep coming from the same programming. Yeah. And I, I want to see if you can elaborate that on uh, a little bit more, especially on the question and mostly in regard to how often do we have to ask the question? I, I find that with certain people or some of my students, they think that by asking the question once or twice, that's enough. And why are they still in suffering? Right. (laughs) So, so what's your response to that? Like how often do we need to be in that state of self inquiry? Well, I think it's a, it's a lifetime thing. Mm -hmm. Um, we are spiritual beings having a human experience and, and growth never ends. However, what I've noticed is that So you mentioned expectation hangover and expectation hangover is basically anytime we are triggered or hit a bump in the road, like things don't turn out like we planned. They do turn out like we we planned, but we don't feel like we thought we would or life just throws us a curveball and we just feel disappointed or really upset. And with the more healing work that I've done and the more tools that I've had and the more that I've really shifted my belief system, which has shifted the programming in my brain, my time between expectation hangovers gets longer And the time I spend struggling or suffering or working my way through it gets shorter. So I'm never going to be done. You know, I just had something come up last week that was pretty intense. However, I was able to move through it very quickly because it, one, I have a lot of tools and, and second, it wasn't sitting on a time bomb. You know, that's the thing when we suppress and suppress and suppress and suppress you get in one fight with your partner and it's like the world is ending because it's not just about that fight with the partner or you have a breakup or something like, or your, or you, a business launch doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about that. It's about that and everything else. It's every other expectation hangover, every other disappointment, every other sadness, every other time you felt not enough, it's sitting on all of that. Mm-hmm. So it feels way, way, way more intense. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you start doing the work and you're growing and you continue to treat yourself with compassion and you have the tools and you understand yourself from a psychological, emotional perspective, then when these upsets come in life, it's not like your whole world collapses. Right. Right. You know, one of the things that I loved about the book the most was the realization that, you know, the disappointment that comes from the the plans that you had are, are truly, that's the gift the failures and the things that don't work out, those are the gifts. And it's, it's so wonderful to have that pointed out because I feel like so often we think, Oh no, this didn't work. I'm no good. Right. And it doesn't matter how many tools you may have on your toolbox. It's if that's the strongest narrative you have, that's the one that you, that needs to break. Right. Exactly. 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 I think it's important for all of us to look at, 
what is the strongest story we have in our head? And that's where we trip is because we, we hear all this information, right? We, we listen to inspiring podcasts and we hear all this information about how the universe is friendly and how our thoughts create our reality and how, you know, we're, we're all divine and we are enough, you know, how many personal growth speakers tell the audience, you are enough, you are loved. And we hear this stuff. However, only five, three to 5% of our behavior is consciously driven. That leaves a good 95% of our behavior and actions that's unconsciously driven. So even though consciously we may think, no, I know, I know I'm enough, unconsciously, if we're still carrying around a lot of wounds and a lot of memories for when we were left out or when our parents said something critical or when our parents got divorced and we made it mean that they didn't love us or one parent wasn't around or whatever, or a teacher was mean or you you didn't do well in school or you were too short or too fat, whatever the not enough in the story is, until you co- bring conscious awareness to those memories that have remained unconscious for a long time, you're going to be battling inside yourself because you're going to have this one personal growth. I know I should be nicer to myself. I know I'm enough voice, but then you've got all this unconscious program that's still driving your behavior. So you can walk, let's say you like walk into a networking event and you may be thinking, I'm enough, I can do this, but you've got 95% of unconscious programming that's that's making you feel totally scared and totally nervous uh-huh. because there's been times in the past where you were teased and you didn't feel like enough. So that's why it's so important to really be mindful of some of our core wounds and the things that happen to us and do the healing work. And and the thing is like, I mean, I, I could go, if I, if I told my whole story, it would take the whole podcast, but there's been a lot that I've been through. I'm like, do that, it. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't, didn't think that I could get over from, from abuse to sexual abuse, molestation to being diagnosed with depression when I was 11 years old to the bullying and teasing to um, super late puberty and having all my hormones off and being told in, I think, eighth grade I could never have babies, which wasn't true. But can you imagine how traumatizing that was? Like just like thing after thing. And, you know, there was stuff with my family and it was just – it was not the worst childhood in the world. People listening have been through much worse. But I really thought I was broken. Mm -hmm. Like – I really thought I could never get off depression medicine. I really thought that I could never have friends in my life. I really thought that I could never like feel confident in my body and feel like a woman. Like I had so much shame and trauma around my sexuality. Like I never thought I was going to be able to be free of that. And so I stand here today and actually I'm actually literally standing as we're (laughs) recording this. Um, I stand here today like as as a um, living example of you can heal, like you you can not just get over but get through anything you've been through so that it actually turns into a gift. Not just the fact that you got over it, but the fact that you were able to heal it and bring love to it such that it doesn't have a charge. Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, whatever, like, my, my rate made me stronger and, and it's just, I pushed through and, and, and that's, that's great. Like, I love that it's made you stronger. However, is there still anger in there? Mm. Like, have you gotten to a place of forgiveness mm-hmm. inside yourself mm. so that you don't have to hold on to the anger anymore? And that's the healing work I'm really talking about is being able to get to a place inside where not only do you see everything that happened to you as a blessing, but there's no charge. Mm-hmm. Like I can think about the the worst things that have happened to me and there's 
zero charge. There's zero sadness. There's zero anger. There's zero shame. There's compassion. There's tremendous compassion, but there's absolutely no quote unquote negative emotion. Mm, that is, that's beautiful. I, I can relate to so much of what you said and obviously knowing your story. One of the things that I admire about you the most was the the fact that you were able to achieve as much as you did at such a young age, regardless of whatever obstacles. And I know how hard it is to make it in the entertainment industry, to make it in LA at a young age, especially as a woman. And to then have the courage to leave that and to, you know, follow your heart's passion. Um, and I, I really, I always admire that because I can recognize the parts of myself in that, uh, in mm. that, in that tenacity, right. In that, like, you're gonna, you're just, you're gonna keep going. You're gonna keep climbing. You're gonna keep moving forward. Um, do you think that that can be taught in people? I, I call it, so it's, it's really the grit, right? It's like you, mm -hmm. you've got the grit, like you went through a ton of shit in your life that got you to a place where you were like, this is my life. I'm taking control. These are the things that I have control over. These are the things that I'm going to surrender. And this is how I was able to overcome that. Right. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, let's be real honest here. No, uh -uh. I, I, it was more like this. I am so miserable. I am scared shitless. I don't know what to do. I'm so fucked up. I need help. And I don't feel like it. It didn't feel like coming I mean, to be honest. It didn't feel like courage at the time. Mm. It felt like straight up desperation and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And it was luckily I was miserable enough to do something about it. So, so it was more my fear of being miserable for the rest of my life was bigger than my fear of dealing with it. Finally, like that fear of, of being that way for the rest of my life uh, was bigger than the fear of, all right, maybe I should look at this. And right. I, I got help. I didn't do it on my own. I didn't just go, all right, like I'm going to pick myself White up and I'm just going to keep moving forward. Yeah, right. not at all. I had coaches. I went to workshops. I, I started really learning from people and reaching out for support because I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. I had no clue how to get through some of the things that I've gotten through and how to heal, which is why I'm so passionate about what I teach and what I support people with today. Because I mean, now I have a clue <laughs> and I know how to get over it. And now it's like, that that's my life's work is helping other people who are like, I really don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to get to the other side of it. And that was more what it was like for me. Now I'm at a point where if something comes up, I, I, I think it's more, um, a willingness than it is grit because I, um, I, I push myself so hard for so much of my life that I just have made an agreement with myself. I don't do that anymore. So when stuff comes up, I'm more, I go more to compassion. I have found that for me and especially for women, compassion is actually way more of a superpower than courage. Mm. Compassion and willingness and compassion for the fear that comes up and like allowing ourselves to be scared and moving forward anyway, I guess that is the definition of courage. Mm -hmm. But I've just found that when I have that compassion for myself first and that acceptance of where I am, 
then the courage comes forward, but more from a place of acceptance and of pulling myself towards my vision than really pushing myself too hard. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Why do you think we, I'm just going to, for, for women in, in particular, why do you think we lack that compassion? A couple reasons. I think that we're too, um, I think the personal growth world and is, is a little too masculine still, even though it's a lot of women leading it. I think it's too much hustle based, too much. You got this too much. Just change your mind and move forward anyway. It has, um, too much of a masculine edge. And that makes sense because things are changing now, but we have lived in a world where the masculine way has been the only way we've really seen in terms of making things happen. Right. And so, I think that we've adopted a lot of that. I just have to like push through. And then I think the other reason that it's hard to get to compassion is because people, especially women, are insanely hard on ourselves, insanely hard on ourselves. We would never put the expectations on friends that we put on ourselves or talk to our friends the way we often talk to ourselves. And so that compassion is hard to get to because we're just so wired to be hard on ourselves and consciously or unconsciously, we think that if we're compassionate, we're compassionate, we're just going to be lazy. So many of us have it wired that in order to get shit done in life, I have to be hard on myself. And like, you may not consciously be aware of it, but like, as you're listening, think about this. How many times have just, has being hard on yourself motivated you? Like, oh, I need to lose these 10 pounds before summer. I've got to get to the gym. And so that's your motivation. Oh, like everybody else is like blowing me up on social media. I have to post every day. Otherwise I'm going to fall behind. It's these, these subtle things. <laughs> and we, we are afraid to actually drop that because then we're like, oh, well, am I going to do anything? Am I going to be motivated? Yes. 1000% you are. And you're not going to be as attached. Like what I have found is I'm far, because I'm more compassionate with myself now and I know that if I push myself, one, I'm going to go more into my masculine energy. Two, I'm probably going to become irritable. And three, my body's going to tell me. I'm going to get a cold. Part of my body's going to start hurting. Like something's going to, my hormones are going to be off. My body's going to give me some kind of feedback. And, and because I've learned to listen a little more to those things, I don't, I don't go into pushing. And I allow like inspiration and just my love and my, um, just wanting to like connect and serve and play and create more of those feminine qualities. I let that pull me forward instead. Mm, that's a, a great barometer to assess where you are. I think, um, you know, to, to be able to have that as a regular practice or ritual, mm -hmm. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement line that makes quality trusted nutrition convenient and accessible. As a yoga and meditation teacher and as a holistic health coach, I frequently get asked by students and listeners, is there a good supplement to help with stress and aid sleep? And for many of us, we can go days without getting good sleep and this can become so frustrating because it affects your entire day. 
Americans are spending $50 billion a year on sleeping pills. And the irony is that those pills don't let you get the rejuvenation and the rest that you actually need. So one of my favorite products to use from Organifi is Organifi Gold. It helps in so many ways. It helps sleep, it helps soothe muscles, and helps support joints. And for somebody that travels a lot, like myself, this is definitely my go-to travel supplement. Many of you have seen me post about it on social media, and I love that it's packed with superfoods for sleep and relaxation, like ginger, maximum strength turmeric, reishi mushrooms, lemon balm, turkey tail mushroom, cinnamon, and coconut milk. It's super easy to use. The way I like to drink it is with hot water, and I drink it like a warm cup of tea, and I use it as my nighttime ritual. Reducing stress and getting sound sleep are some of the absolute best things that you can do for your health. And that's exactly why Organifi created Organifi Gold. So to try Organifi Gold and all the other amazing Organifi products, go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com and use the code ROSIE. R-O-S-I-E, and receive 20% off your entire order. Or you can simply go to the show notes on this podcast and click the Organifi.com link. And now back to our show. In order for us to become more aware of our subconscious operating, how often do we need to be bringing awareness to it? Well, I think, you know, checking in and going in rather than out is something that's important to do daily, multiple times a day. Um, But the best way we get feedback is our outer experience is a reflection of our inner reality. So if you notice that you're having more arguments, if you notice that you're miscommunicating with people, if you're dating and you notice that you're dating the same person over and over again with this different face and it's not working out like that, that's feedback. If your body is manifesting health symptoms that you can't get to the bottom of, that's a feedback. If you keep hitting brick wall after brick wall with your business, that's feedback. So we're always getting feedback, um, from, from our external reality. So that's one way. And then just that checking in, you know, one thing I do at my retreats is, after any process or in an opening circle, and I do this when I start sessions with clients too, I do a two-word check-in and I put them into a meditation and have them put one hand on their heart, one hand on their belly, because that creates a feeling of safety in our nervous system. And I just ask, what are two words that sum up your inner experience right now? And they don't have to go together. And sometimes the words are contradictory, like anxious and calm, because a lot of times we're feeling you know, several things inside of us. But that practice of closing our eyes, putting one hand on our heart, one hand on our belly, and just tuning in and just being like, what's going on in there? Like, what am I feeling? And, and, and taking the time to really listen to what our heart and what our inner wisdom and what our intuition is telling us, I think is, is, is a lifelong practice. Wow. Yeah, that's I, as you were saying it, I was doing it and I was like, oh, this feels so, <laughs> this feels so <laughs> nice just to have that, that connection, you know, with your body and your breath and your spirit mm-hmm. is, I think is what's so key in being able to integrate those parts of yourself. Um, yeah. For the people that are listening that are, <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. Oh yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give them? Because I I know this is something that you address and and you 
post about it and I, I love your perspective and I, I would love for you to share what your thoughts are with the mm. audience. Uh, well, <laughs> again, this could be a whole another podcast. Well, I think that, you know, and I'm writing a book about this now. There are, there are five different kind of relationships and I won't go through all of them in great detail, but the, the reason I'm bringing that up to start with is that we're very conditioned to believe that we date for a result. Like we date for an outcome. We date for, this is a person I'm going to marry, or this is a person that is going to make me feel this way or whatever. And not all relationships are meant to be long-term. Like not all relationships are meant to be forever. And so the first thing is know that romantic relationships especially will be your greatest teacher and they will consistently mirror to you unresolved issues, <laughs> things from your dad that you haven't healed inside yourself that you always wanted, things from your mom that you haven't healed. You know, Tony Robbins asks the question, like, whose love did you crave the most, uh -huh. mom or dad? And then there's a direct correlation to the romantic partners you picked. So for example, if you had a dad who was a little emotionally unavailable, you're probably going to attract emotionally unavailable men. And this, this doesn't, this isn't gender based. So let's say women, let, okay. So if I'm speaking to heterosexual women, you could have a mother who was really critical and really hard on you. And then you could end up dating someone that's really critical or really hard on you. Or you might attract the opposite. You might be like, part of you might be like, oh, I'm never going to have criticism again. And so you attract someone who's super nice, but then you walk all over them and you're not attracted to them anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's, we can attract the exact mirror image or we can attract the polarity. And all of it is to help us, so it's to basically trigger us to do the work and look at those unresolved issues with mom and dad so that we can stop dating our parents, basically. The other thing that we tend to attract is parts we don't like about ourselves or parts we haven't owned about ourselves. So if you are super judgmental, either externally or internally, you might end up with someone super judgmental. If you have addiction, you might end up with someone like that. Um, if you, you know, and back to the parents, if one parent was, there was infidelity of any kind, you might find that in your relationships. And again, it's, it's, these things are uncomfortable and triggering to wake us up and do the work because as a life coach now for over 15 years, nobody ever comes to me and says, oh, my life is going great. I just thought we'd sit down and have a chat. They come to me, <laughs> they come to me because they're like triggered by something. And I know whatever they're triggered by in present time is a direct route back to an issue that's wanting to be healed. It's not just about whatever's happening in present time. So that's a good thing to know about relationships is that you're going to continue to date your issues until you deal with them. And kind of back to, you know, the person is also a mirror for unowned parts of ourselves. What I see a lot is <clears throat> being attracted to someone, like let's say you're really attracted to someone who's like super, super creative. And every time you're around them, like your creativity comes out and then the relationship ends and you're devastated because they were your creative muse. No, not at all. They were just mirroring to you a part that you're not seeing inside yourself. So these things that we're super attracted to in someone else, almost to the point where we're obsessive about it, is really 
unowned, unacknowledged qualities inside ourselves. So in that example, it would be you haven't really seen your creativity. You haven't really owned it. And often in relationships like that, the person has to go away because in order for your soul and your psyche to really get that you have that, you can't be with the other person because then it turns into this codependent thing and you think they're the reason you're creative. I just said a lot. In a short yeah, I'm like, time. I hope that makes sense. I was trying to write down notes as you were saying it, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, you really just so much in there. broke it down." You're gonna have to go back and like re-listen to this because there are some good nuggets, you guys. This is so so good. So when does the book come out? Everyone's gonna oh, ask. So that one, that one's not till 2020 at least. I'm writing it now. I'm probably just gonna self-publish it because it just needs to come out. So I'm hoping 2020. <laughs> All right. So maybe everybody listening. So we have something to look forward to. Um, yeah. Because that's yeah. gonna be really good. You know, it's interesting that you say that because the people closest to us are always our biggest teachers. So mm-hmm. I think that because we're, well, I'll speak for myself, but I think a lot of people can relate everything we externalize everything we want to find happiness outside of ourselves all the time we want it right we want the instant gratification we want the the social currency of likes we want the external 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 right yes yes until we until we reach a point where we're happy with the inside and then your relationship style becomes more just sharing in the loving with somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's what Stephanos and I, and I have now. Like we get triggered. Like we have our we have our stuff. I mean, we're a couple. Like obviously it's going to be a, a growth container for both of us. Mm-hmm. But because we've each done so much self-work and that was my biggest non-negotiable when I was looking for a relationship is I wanted a conscious relationship. I wanted a man who had felt and dealt and healed a lot of his past so that we didn't have to keep playing it out in our relationship. And that's what we experience. Like, yeah, we get triggered. There's stuff that comes up, but we know how to navigate it. And we don't point the finger at the other person. We pretty much know it's our stuff. I'm like, Christine, what is it like to be with somebody who is like, <laughs> like a I mean, look, you know, Tori, obviously it's like, yes, you know, and, and I love him and we have a great relationship, but you know, you were so conscious and he is so conscious and the way that you guys are in a relationship together is so inspiring. And I think that, I think it has to do with both of your abilities to be able to be mature and connected and to be able to like pull back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and we've both done, we like have done the inner work. We have dealt with our shadows. We've gone to our core inner child wounding. And that was one of the things we talked about in the beginning of the relationship is like, I was like, this is my like little girl's wounding and this is how I need to be loved. And this is part of conscious relationships is you don't expect the other person to read your mind. Just because we're in this conscious relationship doesn't mean that he can just walk into a room and know exactly what I need at any moment. (laughs) It's my responsibility to really be vulnerable and, and show him all sides of me. And then also like not in an argument, but in tender conversations, be like, this is, this is what I need. This is what my little girl needs. For example, in the beginning of our relationship, um, I, I needed a little more freedom. Like I needed a little more space because I had a bit of an enmeshment growing up with my mom. And so I wasn't able to quite discern, is this really love or is this enmeshment? You know? And so I, I needed, I needed a little, I needed a little space. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And he, he could understand that because I was like, look, my grown adult woman knows this is all healthy and loving, but the little girl in me who is still a little cautious just needs a little space. Let me come to you. Let me initiate. It won't be like this forever, but just give me some time so that I feel safe. And he could hear that. But if I expected him just to read my mind or if I just pushed him away without explaining what was happening inside of me, that would have been awful. And we would have just been fighting all the time. Yeah. Yeah. How how important is it for the partner that you're with um, to be doing self-work? For me, it's imperative, but that's for me, mm-hmm. you know, and that depends on the kind of relationship that you want. And people do self-work in different ways. And honestly, some people just haven't had a ton of stuff in their past that is holding them back. <laughs> I, you know? I forget about that. I mean, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. right. I yeah, some people don't. Um, <laughs> however, everybody has their insecurities. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their vulnerabilities, like no matter what. And to, to me, and, and I've been married and the reason my marriage ended, well, one of the, I mean, the main reason, there are other like sub reasons, but the main reason the marriage ended is because he just, he wasn't really into doing the personal growth stuff. Like he was happy with like doing his job, hanging out with his friends, like what I judged as the more day to day, I don't want to say surface because he, it wasn't like he was, you know, he, he had depth, but he just wasn't as interested in the consciousness stuff that I was like, mm-hmm. for example, if I said to breath, if I said to Stephanos, Hey, let's go to a breath work seminar. Hey, let's, let's go to this, like, you know, whatever. He'd be like, awesome. Let's go. If I said that to my ex, he'd be like, Oh really? He'd go for me, but I'd be kind of dragging him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I knew that was a top value for me. And I think people really have to check inside and be like, all right, like, can I, have my relationship with my partner. They may not be that into personal growth. Maybe I get that from my friends and my, you know, community and I don't have it here and and that's okay. Um, but one thing I know for sure is that dragging someone with you is exhausting. Yeah. Oh yes. I totally agree. And it's that whole, you can, you can lead a horse to water, but right. God, that is that, I mean, to me, that has been such a, I'm like, here's my lesson. I'm like, let's analyze Rosie for a second, <laughs> <laughs> especially growing up in an environment where, you know, it's like, I, I gave you a little bit of background. Um, I, I grew up around a lot of, you know, chaos and there was like gang violence and, you know, just uh, lots of tumult happening in my environment and in my family, there was just, there was a lot of victim mentality, right? It's like life happening, life happens to you and not for you. So part of my own, uh, (laughs) disposition has been, I need to help everybody, right? I need to Uh like, I need to show them and, oh, this really worked for me. And meditation really helps and changing your lifestyle and you got to change your mindset and you have to be able to, you know, do all these things. And, you know, when there's people that are not interested or Mm -hmm. don't see the value in it because they don't believe that anything can change because that's just not the way the world works. Right. It, it is exhausting. Right. So what, tell me what to do, Christine. (laughs) (laughs) With which part? Well, just with dealing with my family, I guess. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing with family is that accepting that they're not going to change 
And also like accepting that they may never, even though they're blood relatives, they may never really truly know you or see you. And that's good. That's really good. Yeah. And, and like letting that be okay. And knowing like for me, like knowing that you have your soul family, you have the family you get to choose as well. But people can only love us to the degree that they love themselves and they can only see us to the degree that they see themselves and they can only take ownership to the degree that they take ownership for themselves. So getting, you know, one thing that I've learned is getting forgiveness from someone um, doesn't require the person's participation. <laughs> it's it's really about an inside job. It's about letting go of the 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 charge and the judgments and the disappointment and also grieving. You know, one thing that I help my clients a lot with is even if their parents are not dead, like grieving the parent they wish they had, like grieving the ideal of the relationship, grieving the fact that it was so hard and then really just letting it go, you know, really letting it go and being able to take the wisdom and take the lessons, getting to a deep place of forgiveness and then just accepting who they are. Christine, you are really the perfect model for radical love and radical mm. self-love and radical self-acceptance. I mean, I really, truly believe that. And Thank you. Um, I'm really grateful to know you, number one, obviously, fan <laughs> Likewise. But to, uh, but, you know, I I think it's it's really important to have people like you doing the work that you're doing from a place of uh, integrity and authenticity and realness. So, so thank mm. you for, for doing that. Who has been the greatest teacher in your life? Oh, I've had so many, but I, the person that I have to always acknowledge is Mona Miller. Um, she is no longer alive, but she was the first coach spiritual teacher I went to when I mentioned my quarter life crisis and I felt so hopeless. And it was really in her home because that's where she saw me that, um, I really started to learn and I really started to heal. And she was the first person that really held a space of unconditional love. She also called me out a lot. <laughs> uh, and she was, she was tough, uh, but she was, but I trusted her and she made me feel safe and she taught me so much. Mm. What is your definition of freedom? F to me, it's being totally authentically self-expressed. No masks, no holding back, no people, no, no chameleon, no contorting myself, but just total inner permission to be fully me. That's so good. See, I told you, <laughs> quote, just quotable moments. <laughs> what advice would you give your 15-year-old self? Oh, my 15-year-old self. Oh. That was tough. <laughs> that was tough. Well, I think that um, I would tell her that you are you have such a brilliant mind and you have these incredible thoughts and you're very intelligent and I encourage you to use those thoughts to create stories inside your head that make you feel good. Hmm. What advice? That's what I would tell. What advice? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's so good. What advice would your ninety-five-year-old self tell you now? Mm. Um, 
<laughs> she probably would have said, see all that stuff you worried about that it was so silly to worry about? That was a waste of your time. <laughs> you know what's funny? Everybody I've asked that question to has a degree of that same response, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's almost like we give ourselves the advice that we need now. Totally. Totally. Um, All right. So before I ask you the final question, and again, I want to be respectful of your time, um, for the people that are listening to this podcast and I'm sure have already gained an enormous amount of value uh, from you and, and everything that you've said, even just here, where can they go for more information or to connect with you? Mm. Well, I think the best place, especially if a lot of what I said was like, whoa, I kind of understood that, but not so much. And that was really fast because <laughs> we covered a lot of ground <laughs> would be um, to listen to my over it and on with it podcast where I coach people live on the air. So every episode number um, is that airs on Wednesday is a, a unproduced, unscreened, unedited live coaching counseling session with someone. So if you go and binge on those and all the titles kind of give you an idea of what it is, you'll start to understand a little more about the stuff we talked about, parenting, compensatory strategies, dating, why you sabotage yourself. And if you hear me work with somebody, it'll, it'll start making a lot more sense than just talking about it. Mm, great. So, for everybody listening, the links will be on the info of this particular podcast. So if you go to the info button and you click it, you will see all of the links to connect with Christine and all of her social media will be on there as well. And um, yeah, so please reach out to her because she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank she may or may not respond. I don't know how good you are. <laughs> I am. I'm great okay. at responding. Okay. Yeah, especially on Instagram. Okay, great. Great. If you want to get me, get me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's the best place. Get her on the grams, guys. <laughs> All right. So the final question is in regard to this podcast. And I created Radically Loved as a place for people to go to, to get inspired, to get information, to get encouraged, to get wisdom nuggets, and it comes from this idea that we are radically loved, that the universe works for us and not against us. And we innately are radically loved beings of light by God, higher power, Krishna, goddess, whatever higher power <laughs> of your understanding, we are radically loved. So the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? Oh, I feel radically loved when I'm in deep acceptance and appreciation of myself and my life. And when I'm in that state, it's like, it seems like Stephanos loves me more and my friends love me more and I get better parking spaces and everything works better with work. Like, it's amazing how our inner experience just creates everything and the universe just matches us. So I, I, I feel radically loved when I can, again, put one hand on my heart and one hand on my belly and just take some deep breaths and just feel all the love and the compassion that I so easily give to others when I just like flood myself with that in, in all of my cells. That's when I feel most loved and when I just go into that deep, deep, deep appreciation for, for my life. I'm doing it right now. Again, you said it and I'm doing it. It's so nice. 
Christine, thank you so much for everything. And again, for all the work that you're doing and for just being such an inspiration. I thank you for your work and for being a part of our family here at Radically Loved. And I hope that you continue to thrive and I can't wait to read the book that's coming out. I'm so excited. Mm, me too. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for creating this incredible podcast and doing the awesome work that you do in the world to help us all just feel what we're all chasing the most, which is love. <laughs> Christine, you're the best. <laughs> Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.